But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers or or sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I'd like to continue our sermon series, St. Luke's on Broadway, and we're going to be looking at the wonderful hit musical, West Side Story. West Side Story first opened on Broadway on September the 26th, 1957. It was a very controversial show. It would ultimately be nominated for six uh, Tonys. It would win two. But four years later, America might be a little more ready for the message and It was made into a movie in 1961, and that year it wound up receiving 11 Academy Award nominations, and it won 10. It has gone on to be repeated over and over throughout all these past years. Just last week, it was, or two weeks ago, it was here in Oklahoma City. Lyric Theater Hat was presenting West Side Story. They always do a good job for us. And of course, it's right now has a revival on Broadway. This is the 60th anniversary of the beginning of West Side Story on Broadway. How it came to be as a story really is an interesting story. It turned out that it was Jerome Robbins, someone who was known for his choreographing amazing dances and directing, who came up with the idea that he wanted to have a modern-day Romeo and Juliet And so he called together his good friends, Arthur Laurent and Leonard Bernstein, and invited them to come to his apartment, and he began to pitch the idea. The whole idea was he wanted to have Romeo and Juliet modern day be a Catholic girl and a Jewish boy. And in the 1940s, when they were getting together, it was down in lower East Manhattan that you had the community of Jews and Catholics. And so he decided he wanted to call this East Side Story. He pitched them the idea. They thought it was interesting, but they really didn't think it was a good time. And so the idea was shelved for years. It wasn't until the early 50s that there were some riots out in L.A., some Chicano gangs... And with the riots going on in this gangs, it was Arthur and Leonard Bernstein who got together and they started talking saying, you know, maybe Jerry's right. Maybe we need to do this. And so they went to him and said, we think we should do a revival of Romeo and Juliet in modern day, but it's not going to be a Catholic girl and a Jewish boy. 
We want it to be an Italian and a Puerto Rican. They made that decision because in the last five years from then, there had been an immigration of a half a million Puerto Ricans into New York City, into Manhattan. And they had now gathered on the west side of town and it butted right up against Little Italy where you had the Italian Americans. And this tremendous hatred, animosity towards each other had sprung up. And by the middle 1950s, it was very clear, here's the dividing line. And if you are Italian, you don't go on this side, which is Puerto Rican. And if you're Puerto Rican, you don't go on that side that's Italian. You don't cross the line. To cross it, that brought about horrible consequences. As I was watching a documentary about the making of West Side Story, it was fascinating. They interviewed a lady named Visa, and Visa was Italian, and she had grown up there in New York City back in the 1940s and 50s. She understood exactly what was being talked about, and she explained that there really was that street you don't cross from one side to the other, And yet she had gotten to know this Puerto Rican boy and they secretly started dating and he became her boyfriend and then her father found out. They lived in a four-room apartment and in that four-room apartment she said her father did not speak a word to her for six years. Six years living that close together. You don't date the Puerto Ricans. You don't cross over to the Italians. That was just what people understood. And so it was that Leonard and Arthur and Jerry all got together and decided we could do this. And they created the story based around having the Italians be a a gang called the Jets. Tony was the original founder of the Jets. Now it was Riff, his best friend. Tony had gotten tired of all the fighting. Bernardo, well, he was the gang leader for the Sharks, the Puerto Ricans. His sister was Maria. His girlfriend was Anita. They had it to where they understood you don't go with one another. You hate each other. And in the end, there is a rumble. And Bernardo kills Riff. It is Maria who now asks Tony, go stop the rumble, try to do something. And he goes down to try to stop this and it all goes terribly wrong. And in the end, Tony kills Bernardo. All that happens in the first act. You go to the second one and Tony and Maria are trying to find their way forward. And Tony thinks Maria has died and he's running to find her, to see her alive and he runs across And Chico of the shark sees him and shoots him. And Tony dies in Maria's arms. It would be a real tragedy. And a story that would deal with prejudice and hatred and bigotry. When they put together that whole story, well, people came and said, no one's going to come. No one's going to come see that. That's not going to go over. People don't want to talk about this. It's going to be a failure. Person after person after person said, don't do it. This will be a failure. 
But in 1955, they began and they did the casting and they pulled the group together. Understand the period in history in our country. I told you it opened on Broadway on September 26, 1957. If you're a great historian, you might remember what happened on September the 25th, 1957, one day before. It's when the Little Rock Nine integrated the schools of Little Rock, Arkansas. When nine African-American students said they wanted to go to Central High School in Little Rock, the white school, and there was such pushback, so much hatred. People went out to march and be in protest, and they hurled insults at them and shouted at them and spit on them. President Eisenhower had to call out the National Guard to be there in order for these nine students to be admitted into school. And for the next year, they were constantly hazed and harassed and treated in ways that you would find hard to believe. It took the National Guard to be there for nine students to be able to go to school in Little Rock. Why? Well, their skin was black. That was going on in 1957 when we have West Side Story hit Broadway. And when it hit Broadway, well, that very first night, Carol Lawrence, who played Maria, she tells about how they were all so very anxious and afraid. They had heard everybody saying, this is going to be a bust. No one's going to want to come. And she said they went out that night and they sang their hearts out. They danced their souls out. I mean, you had every seat packed. All big people in Broadway were there because everyone was talking about this controversial show. And you know, they come to the end. Tony and Maria, well, they've already sung the song somewhere to each other. Tony now dies in Maria's arms. They pick his body up to carry it off stage and you hear the music Somewhere in the background, there's a place for us, somewhere a place for us. Peace and quiet and open air wait for us somewhere. There is a time for us, someday a time for us. Time together with time to spare, time to learn, time to care, someday, somewhere We'll find a new way of living. We'll find a new way of forgiving. Somewhere. The music fades, the lights go down, the curtain comes down. And Carol said they came out to the footlights to take their curtain call. The curtain went up and it was dead silence. It was silent. And she said, I immediately thought, we bombed. People did not like it. And then she said it was almost on cue as if Jerome Robbins had choreographed it. Suddenly at the same moment, everybody leapt to their feet. They were clapping. They were whistling. They were shouting. She said, I have never heard such a thunderous response from an audience. They were all on their feet and they continued on. 
17 curtain calls, they continued on. And she said, by then I was in Leonard Bernstein's arms weeping and he was weeping. No, that night, she said, the audience got it. That night they felt the message and there was some hope. We'll find a new way of living. We'll find a new way of forgiving somewhere. There's the hope in September 26, 1957. Is it any different today? If you watch the news, you saw all about Charlottesville, Virginia. You saw the protest, the fights, a car driving into a crowd, people being hurt, dying. To listen to the ultra-right, neo-Nazis, KKK, spouting their poisonous hatred of bigotry and prejudice, You couldn't help but listen and see and it should have made your heart hurt. You know, I I have friends who are African Americans. I have friends who are Native Americans. Koreans. Hispanics. Every single one of those I have talked to and they have told me stories of how they have been treated because of the color of their skin. They've all told me personal stories that I find hard to believe and understand that that could happen in today's world. If you don't believe prejudice and racism is alive and well, speak to someone who is black or brown or red or yellow. Speak to someone who is Muslim or a Jew or gay. Find a way to speak to someone who only speaks Spanish or Vietnamese or Korean. No, people are saying that this issue of prejudice and bigotry and racism is an issue that is significant in our country right now. Just like it was 60 years ago when West Side Story came out. But that wasn't new in 60 years ago. You can take it back 500 years ago when William Shakespeare wanted to write a play, Romeo and Juliet, to address the culture of his world to talk about the Capulets and the Montagues and these two families who were warring, who hated each other just because they had a different name. That was 500 years ago. But the problem didn't start 500 years ago. You can go back 2,000 years ago and the great divide in that day was between Jews and Gentiles. Jews hated the Gentiles and Gentiles had nothing to do with the Jews. That's what Paul's letter to the Ephesians, our scripture lesson is about this morning. We know that Paul wrote Ephesians while he is in prison And he is writing this letter after he has lived a lot, after he has traveled much. And he now writes this letter really not just to Ephesus, but to the greater church, 
to talk about what he now understands as the church. And Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made us both one and broken down the dividing wall of hostility. What Paul understood was Jews and Gentiles, we have been brought together. The hostility is an end. The walls have been broken down. We are one in a family of faith. Remember you had the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. All the disciples are Jewish. They are following all of the laws, the commandments. And now Paul is trying to say, Jesus didn't come just for the Jews. He came for all people. And we are called to be one family of faith. That was a difficult message in Paul's day. It was not well received. It was a hard thing. Paul understood that maybe somewhere there can be a new way of living. Somewhere there can be a new way of forgiving. Somewhere. It is our hope. I want us to look at our scripture lesson this morning and I want us to think of West Side Story. And I I just have two things to say. First of all, If you and I are going to create somewhere, a new way of living, a new way of forgiving, then it has to begin with you and me. We can't control what everybody else says and does. It has to begin with me, with you. And with each of us making a commitment that we will not judge other people by the color of their skin, or any other defining factor, we seek to get to know people so we know who they are. Rita Marino, she was the one who got the part of of playing Anita in the movie. What a fascinating lady. Rita Marino, she, uh, she went on to great stardom, but it's fascinating that she is Puerto Rican. And she and her mother moved to New York in 1936. She is five years old. And when you moved to that great immigration, migration of the Puerto Ricans, they lived in West Side, Manhattan. And she said she'd never forget. She's five years old and they moved to Manhattan and it was cold. She'd grown up in Puerto Rico. She'd never experienced that kind of winter before. No, it was a whole different world she didn't know existed But there was another world she didn't know existed. At five years old, suddenly she found people were calling her Spick. Hey, Spick. She said it was incredibly painful. I was called all kinds of names. People were always angry at me. They were shouting at me. And I went to my mother and I said, what did I do to these people? Why are they so angry? Why are they so mad at me? Because you were born Puerto Rican? Because of the color of your skin? No other reason. 
She grew up living West Side Story. And so she auditioned and she got that part of Anita. She would ultimately win an Academy Award. She'd win the Oscar. She was the first Puerto Rican woman to win an Oscar. That's because she understood the part. She had lived it. You know, it's interesting that Jerome Robbins there, there were, had to cast 19 gang members. I mean, you had Riff and Bernardo and Tony, all the big characters, but you had 19 gang members, the Jets and the Sharks. And so when he cast them, he, he tried really hard to make sure there was a distinct difference in them. When you looked at the Jets, well, they always had bebop music. And when you had the Sharks, well, they always had Latin music. He really wanted to create that difference. But he got them together and he said, look, during rehearsals and while this show is going on, what I'd like to ask is that you don't socialize together. When we come out on stage, you're supposed to hate each other and dislike each other. And if you start socializing, you're going to get to know each other and you'll probably like each other. And that could come through on the stage. And I thought, yeah. It's when you get to know people. It's hard to hate people. I'll be talking in a few minutes about how we have Pastor Nadia here today from Ulyanovs, Russia. It was back in 1992 when we first traveled to Ulyanovsk, and I was so anxious. The wall had just come down in 1991. I had been raised as a boy doing bomb drills in the classroom. You remember those having to go out in the hallway and get your head down because we knew the Russians were going to bomb us at any time. The Russians were the enemies. The Russian was the evil empire. I didn't know what I'd find. And when we traveled to Russia, what I discovered, living with them in their homes, they were some of the nicest, kindest people I'd ever met. And they are good friends to this day. Leaderships in countries can be very different people when you get to know them. It can be so different. It's what happened with Peter Peter was the leader of the disciples, a good Jew all of his life. And after Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit comes and says, Peter, someone's going to show up at your door and ask you to go with them, and I'm telling you to go. And so sure enough, you had Cornelius, who was a Gentile. He was a Roman centurion and a God-fearer. He wanted to know more about God. And so he sent his soldiers to Peter to say, would you consider coming to my home? And having been told by the Holy Spirit, Peter went and he goes to see Cornelius and he does the unthinkable. He walked through the threshold of his door and he sat down at table and ate with Cornelius. Jews don't do that. To eat with a Gentile? That was an anathema. But that's what Peter did. And when he sat and ate with Cornelius, he came to know Cornelius and who he was. And Cornelius came to understand Peter. And Cornelius becomes the first Gentile convert into the Christian faith. So that Paul could write and say, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those of you who were near, 
For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. We're one family, the household of God. Two become one. If you and I want to find somewhere where life is different, somewhere where there is forgiveness, somewhere, then it starts with you and it starts with me as we make a commitment that we will not judge people by the color of their skin. Secondly, Paul tells us that it is through the death of Christ that we are reconciled to God and to one another. That we can all be reconciled to God and to one another. Paul would say, by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and mighty reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby bringing the hostility to an end. It's through the death of Christ on the cross that we bring the hostility to an end that we are made one. To be able to say what happens on the cross. You know, people talk about what Jesus did on the cross. Some theologians will say when Jesus died, he was sending a message to God for God to change the way he wanted to treat his children who had sinned. Other theologians say, no, when Jesus died on the cross, he became our Savior because of the message he gave to people, not to God. God already loved his people unconditionally. No, the message of Jesus dying with unconditional love on the cross was to all people to say that our sin, the way we treat each other, separates us from God and from each other. And when we see the way that Christ loves us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No, the message on the cross was to all of us. Change your ways. Be reconciled to God, your Creator. And if you are reconciled to your Creator, then you're going to be reconciled to each other and treat each other differently. All right, this message is just as good in the dark as it is in the light. (laughs) What Paul was saying was, we can be reconciled to God and to one another. It is the death of Christ that brings us together. Reconciliation. That's a hard lesson and a difficult thing. If you go back and look at Carol Lawrence, Carol Lawrence got to play the part of Maria in the original Broadway show. And Carol Lawrence was talking about how when she grew up, here she plays the part of the Puerto Rican Maria, but she was raised in an Italian family. 
And being raised, she said she had a very difficult home life because in the 1930s, her Italian father believed that women should do whatever the husband says. They should cook and take care of the house and the husband will tell everybody what to do. And her mother didn't like that idea. And that caused a struggle so often at home. And so it was that they felt that struggle going on as a kid growing up. But she said she came to understand why her mother acted that way, or her father acted that way. It's because his father, her paternal grandfather, well, he was Italian. And as Italian, he lived in a way that everyone's going to do what he wants, and he was abusive to his wife and to his children. Her father growing up saved money and bought a violin. And when his father found it, he grabbed it and smashed it, saying he didn't want his son wasting his time on a violin. His son, Carol's father, would get a scholarship to go to college. He wanted to be a lawyer, and his father wouldn't let him accept it. He wanted him to work with his hands. So that's the example that he had of what life was going to be like. And so as a kid growing up, well, her father didn't really know how to express affection. Her father really didn't know how to reach out and to care. He wanted everyone to do what he wanted, and that isn't how it always went. As a little girl, Carol loved dancing and singing. Her father didn't like it, but her mother did. And she said it was her mother that was really her greatest supporter, her mother who loved her and encouraged her. She said her father just didn't know how. When she wanted to go take dancing lessons, well, it turned out that he did pay for it, but he didn't like it. And when she needed costumes, he bought them, though he didn't like it. And as the years went by, she got better and better, and she worked so hard. She'd come home at night, and her legs would have Charlie horses, and he would rub her legs to get out the knots, but he didn't like it. She grew up, she was very smart, she got a scholarship to go to Northwestern, and he was so thrilled, now she could become the lawyer. And at the end of her freshman year, when she came home, she had an award as the best freshman drama student in the department. He didn't like it. They took a vacation every summer, and that year he wanted to go west, and she begged him to go to New York City. He finally agreed, and they went to New York City. And when they got there, she asked for permission and said, I, I really would like to, to go see a cattle call audition. To go see them audition, you know, when anybody can show up, and just see how they do it in New York. And they finally agreed. She went down, and she got there when she met the stage manager. He said, if you don't have a leotard and you're not here to dance, get out of here. She went back to the hotel. She got her leotards and dancing shoes and came back. And by the end of the day, she had a part in a Broadway musical in the chorus line. Her mother was thrilled. Her father didn't like it. He kept hoping the show would close, it would fail, and she'd have to go back to school. But that's 1952. And that didn't happen. No, that didn't happen. For three years she worked, and in 1955 she was auditioning. On her 13th callback for an audition, she was finally given the part of Maria 
in this new show, West Side Story. It would change her life. She would be a star. It would be different forever. Her father really had a hard time talking about that. It would be a few years later that he actually would get cancer, be in the hospital, and he was dying. Carol was a person of great faith. And she had learned what does it mean to say somewhere. We can live a life different. Somewhere. We can live a life of forgiveness. Somewhere. She sat down and she wrote her father a letter in which she thanked him for paying for the dancing lessons. She thanked him for buying the costumes. She thanked him for rubbing her legs. She told him she was so grateful and proud that he was her father. He never acknowledged the letter. But the family noticed in the hospital that in his pajamas and in his pocket, there always seemed to be something. Nobody asked, and he didn't tell them what it was. It turned out that it would go on for weeks and months. And when he finally died, they finally looked in his pocket and there was Carol's letter that he had kept it close to his heart. To come to discover that we can be reconciled. To discover somewhere there is a different way of living There is a different way of forgiving somewhere. At the end of the show in West Side Story, I told you how Tony rushes towards Maria when he is shot and he dies in her arms. Maria grabs the gun and she looks around at the jets and at the sharks And she says, you, you all are responsible. You killed him. Through your hatred and the bigotry, you all are responsible for his death. You killed him. I couldn't help but think, every time you and I live with hatred and prejudice, we crucify Christ over and over again. She's there grieving, holding Tony, and she's weeping. She looks over at her people, the sharks. She wants to pick up his body and carry it out. And she looks over to the sharks for help. And in the end, they all turn their backs. She looks over at the jets, Tony's people. And finally, a few come forward to help pick up his body. They pick up his lifeless, limp body. It's hard to carry. And they start to drop him. And a few sharks come over and grab hold. And now they were standing there face to face. Holding Tony's dead body. There to comfort Maria. Mary. It's a Christ-like image they create. That in death. 
they are brought together with the possibility of reconciliation. As they create this funeral procession and carry this body off stage. And in the background the music somewhere is playing. Somewhere a different way of life. Somewhere a new way of forgiveness. Somewhere. With Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet, it was the death of Romeo and Juliet that brings reconciliation. It brings the Capulets and the Montagues back together again. It is through the death of their children that they come to understand how hatred and prejudice and bigotry will destroy them. It is through death that there is reconciliation. It is Paul who says, it is through the cross, through Christ's death that the wall is torn down, the wall of division and hostility can come to an end. We can be reconciled to God and to one another. It is because of Christ that you and I live with hope that somewhere there's a place for us. Somewhere a place for us. Peace and quiet and open air wait for us. Somewhere. There is a time for us. Someday a time for us. Time together with time to spare. Time to learn. Time to care. Someday. Somewhere. We'll find a new way of living. We'll find a new way of forgiving. Somewhere. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. Oh,